the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. So we will be jumping in right into the main thing, which is all the games we had over the past week. So we're going to start off with the most recent one that has been talked about entirely would be Tacoma Defiance beat San Diego 3-1. to And I think we'll jump right into the main San Diego spokesperson to get his opinions on what happened in this match. Pass. Um, no, um... I think Tacoma has surprised some folks. Um, we'll probably talk about Tacoma against Orange County as well. Um, took advantage of some opportunities, play with some pace. Uh, San Diego had lots of chances but couldn't finish. Um, and I do think Tacoma is going to surprise some teams this year, especially at home. Uh, they're kind of a fun team to watch. And um, unfortunately, San Diego on the losing side of this. But if you're a Tacoma fan or a neutral in general, uh, like I said, Tacoma is a really fun team to watch right now. Yeah, Tacoma to me is starting to look more like what we saw from LA Galaxy 2 for the last few years, where they are an okay team. You can't discount them. They're not going to be a pushover. And if they return to what they were in their first couple of years, where they were a borderline playoff team, it's going to make the Pacific Division here really ugly to play in. Because if Tacoma's decent, there's no bad team all okay, there's Vegas. There's no other bad team left in the entire Pacific. Yeah, this Tacoma team has really snuck up on some people, including myself. And I watch way too much USL for my own good. But even me, I was like, ah, it's just Tacoma. They have a cool crest, and that's about it. But, you know, talking about the loyal match itself, just watching that match, it just felt like even though – Statistically, you would think that the Loyal were absolutely dominating every single thing about the match. Just watching the match, it felt like Tacoma never lost control, even though they were probably sitting around 40% possession, which is absolutely wild. And you don't see that happen very often, especially in the USL, where most of the time, if a team dominates possession, they're probably dominating the game as well. But that didn't happen during this match, and it was a very interesting watch. It was uh, interesting from the XG that they had for that match from American Soccer Analysis, which will be referenced uh, uh, often from the rest of this episode. Uh, Tacoma had a 2.49 XG for their total team goals, while San Diego had a 2.27 uh, for their XG, and it was a Tacoma 3-1 win, so it was still, like, XG-wise, it was still roughly pretty even, but it, interestingly, just that Tacoma... I. I think it's going to be a really difficult place to play just for how you know, difficult it is just to take a road match to that place, just so how isolated it is amongst the entire league. Right. This might be the most isolated. I haven't checked, but it might be the most Without isolated Y-Caps team in the entire league at this point just because of how caps too, or Hartford's pretty isolated as well. Hartford's pretty close to New York Red Bulls. Oh, too, that's true. But, eh, 
Yeah, I think like their closest opponent for uh, Tacoma is Sacramento, which is a couple states away. Yeah, living in Sacramento, that is not a short drive. I've driven to Portland, and that's uh, almost all the driving time trip. I mean, overall. Okay, so moving on to the next game we had for the. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say. I oh, mean, go ahead. I keep I keep looking at the San Diego Loyal team, and they against a team like Tacoma, you really think that San Diego would, you know, match up well. I mean, everything about San Diego seems like it could match up well. And Alan, you might be able to speak more on this, but is it really just a finishing issue or is there more just going on there? Because I'm so confused by this loyal team. Uh, I think it's a little bit of uh, players haven't figured exactly, haven't figured out their role and or they haven't figured out exactly how to use people to their strengths like Corey Herzog has been relatively uh, non-existent Nikki Jackson's been relatively non-existent but I mean if you're looking at those XG numbers you're looking at eight shots on target uh, they're getting the ball to where they want to be like I think they had like 18 shots in the box or something like that they, they, they're getting the ball to where they wanted to go against Tacoma but I mean when their keeper makes seven saves I mean that gives you an idea that it's like you're putting some shots on target you know, maybe one or two more go in, and or one more go in. It's a different match because that third goal right at the very end was kind of a loyal throwing everything at the goal and them getting a counterattack against kind of a slower back line with some faster attackers. Uh, and I think Tacoma knows that's their strength. They're going to clog up the middle. They're going to make it really difficult to break down, and then they're going to hit you on a counterattack, and they're going to score. And they were deadly. I mean, I think they had four shots on target, and they scored three goals. Like, they were deadly when they had their chances. And um, their chances were really good, too. I think the first goal was a little bit weird, uh, but the other two were, were clear-cut. Like, the third goal, like, I saw it. It was like, oh, they're going to score. Like, they, as soon as that ball went went in again on the counterattack, I'm like, they're going to score. Uh, so I think it's maybe a little bit of everything right now. Um, and unfortunately, they're just not getting enough to get a point. I think if they get a couple of these, you know, they get a draw against RGV, which was likely, um, you know, they get a point out of RGV and maybe get a point against Tacoma. We're talking about a different conversation, but 0-3 looks bad. 0-4 after Louisville looks even worse. Uh, but, I mean, you're starting on the road. I mean, Hart, this is what happened with Hartford, right? They buried themselves in a hole the first season play on the road, and hopefully San Diego Loyal figures it out. But they have the horses to do it. I just don't think they've figured out how to fit all the pieces together. But we can yeah. we can talk about San yeah, Diego I mean, all night. But I think we want to move on to uh, that Charlotte Charleston shocker. Yeah, I mean that's a big surprise. Charlotte Independence three, I Charleston the Battery first, zero. Uh, Independence and... victory over the Battery since I think 2018. Hmm. I mean that it's it's been quite some time for, since uh, Charlotte got one up over their South Carolina rivals. If you're looking at the XG for this match, Charleston only recorded a point six while Charlotte got a point seven four got a one point seven four. this was not like the best uh results for Charleston at all. No, this um this match was really interesting to watch and what was very interesting about it is the first the first few minutes of it was 
definitely Charleston looked like the better team. I almost put out a tweet out there that was like, yo, this Charleston team might win by big. And then, you know, the first goal goes in. I'm really glad I decided to not send that out because that would have been really embarrassing. But, you know, two goals, <laughs> two goals within six minutes of each other. That doesn't, it didn't really feel indicative of what I watched because Charleston had, I think, two shots very early that went off the woodwork that about near smashed in the post anyway. And they were very close chances, and they're not going to show up as shots on target, even though I think that's the biggest bull in all the stats is that shots hitting the woodwork don't count as shots on target, and I think that's strange. But, I mean, it was a very interesting watch because you would just watching the match at the very beginning you would think that Charleston were dominating and then they lose 3-0 it was a very confusing it was a very confusing optically I mean Charlotte took advantage of much of their chances Urgent yeah. Parra with two goals on the night he, uh, his XG was .93 from the match and he Charlotte was just clinical from all of their chances and they he walked away with three points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. one of those was a penalty kick, right? And the other was defenders losing a mark, like all by himself in the box. Like uh, uh, even a guy like Para, uh, that's probably on the back side of his career. Like you can't leave a guy like that at the back, uh, like open in the box with a free header like that. You're you're just not great. I think. Uh, I do think you're right. I think uh, Charleston looked better than the the scoreline says, but I think the, probably the best looking thing was like the sunset and, and the stadium there. For and I know that's like a little bit whatever, but yeah, they they wanted more of that match. But this is one of those chalk it up to a team putting and taking it, taking care of their opportunities versus a team that maybe got a little bit unlucky with a couple of their strikes. But, I mean, we've seen this already in, what, 40-something games? That This is this happens all the time. The New Mexico RGV from a while ago, a deflected shot, happens to go in, and RGV walks away with three points. Uh, so, unfortunate for Charleston. But, I mean, for Charlotte, that's that's a great start for them. I think it puts some energy into their into their franchise, and, you know, that's a big win for them. So, uh, they hopefully they can ride a, a high of this and kind of take it in uh, for the next couple weeks. If there's anything I can say extra about Charleston, and this is totally off topic, sorta, but uh, Joe Kosminski might have the greatest fought mob pitcher of all time. If you haven't looked at it, you definitely should because it's absolutely glorious. All right, so next game our docket was the Miami FC. Beat near Red Bulls two one to zero, and this is when I was watching during the same time that Charlotte Charleston was going on. And one thing that I actually realized to me is these almost look like the same teams, where they both have a lot of offense, and their defense is just not there for the most part. Their defense will suddenly just disappear in a critical situation, and I think that's why this game was decided that. New York's defense disappeared and Miami capitalized. And the few times Miami's defense disappeared, New York couldn't really do anything about it. And it's weird to think that's the way it's going to work, but to me, I think these are two teams that if you press in the back, especially with a lot of pace, 
they will fall apart very quickly. And I think New York's team is more built to do that than Miami's team is. Miami's team is more old school in the sense that the USL, they're just going to break someone down slowly. And New York Red Bulls, too, tends to be talented enough to be able to absorb that pressure while Miami is not. But in this case, Miami got the win 1-0, and we'll see how this works out. But this is going to be potentially a pretty important game deciding who's going to make the playoffs because I think both these teams are going to be near that number four spot. And if one of them wins the season series, I think they probably make the playoffs over the other. Yeah, this match was a very fun one for me because this was kind of the coming out party for Bolu Akinyode, who was a Birmingham Legion member last year. And he's finally getting to play his natural position, which is defensive midfielder. And he is just a fantastic one at that. And so it's very nice to see him play. And I decided to look at FOTMA because I wasn't able to watch all this match. And lo and behold, even though he wasn't a goal scorer and he wasn't the assister, Bolu was indeed the MVP of the match, according to FOTMA, which he is just a... He is just a steady player. He can move up into the attack, but also with Legion, he was a center back. And so he has a lot of diversity. He can slot in comfortably, which is kind of what Miami needs because, like you said, Miami completely falls apart on defense because they have the offense, but they don't know what to do on defense. Having a guy like Bolu who can kind of fall back and become a fifth uh, person of the back line or become a third center back back there, has definitely, I think, bailed them out of a few times when and made a lot of these score lines look a lot more respectable than they probably should be. Yeah, but, I mean, overall, it's kind of an interesting game. And like I said, these are two similar teams. I think grab a very similar tra- trajectory and probably end up near their same spots at the end of the season. But moving on to... a. Uh, a lot more lopsided game. Colorado switchbacks four, Sporting Kansas City two zero. Mm. I still want to call him Sport Park, but I'm fighting that, fighting that every day here. But switchbacks, big, big performance. Um, I will once or twice. I'm just saying. They nearly had just a watch. three six three xg. It was. A really impressive display from the Switchbacks who will be opening up their home stadium uh, very soon. Yeah, I think if people are looking at this one like, oh, they got a red card, that's why. It's like they were already up 3-0 before that red card happened. Um, This is kind of maybe a a good sign for Colorado. I know um, Evan is, you know, super high on them. Uh, for you know the coach and a bunch of the players, uh, so I, I texted them was like, "Is this the coming out party for or redemption story for Colorado Springs?" I, I just think it, it it speaks to like how good this team can be or how competitive this team can be. Maybe not like good, but competitive this team can be, uh, and they proved that they can put together a, a good team, a good game. Uh, score score plenty of goals, get plenty of shots, and I think Colorado Springs is definitely a, a, a fun team to kind of watch and follow. Again, I don't think they're going to you know, run the mountain division at all, but I think they're going to be a fun team, some fun matchups uh, to check out, um, and you know, obviously they're opening their brand new stadium as well, so it's going to be it's going to be a fun team to watch on TV as well uh, in that new stadium. 
Yeah, they're better than last year. And if they could get their, like, the 2018-2019 home form back, I think they're in good shape. So, I just don't think they're ever going to... Like I said, they're not going to be a team who you see in the semifinals of the West. They're not going to do that. But if they're a team who sneaks in the playoffs and really gives the number one seed a threat, I could believe they do that. But we'll see. I mean, this is coming off a 0-3 loss to San Antonio. I'd like to see what they do against New Mexico this week before I really say they're good or not, because not Swope Park, but Kansas City 2 is not the best, and we've seen them be not the best. So it's good to see them beat up on a team who they should beat up on. And yeah, this uh, I'm just going to say it. The Swope Park team, I don't care. I'm just going to go for it. Um, they are not very good. And, I mean, very early, like you said, before the red card, they were bad anyway. Um, very early into this match anyway, uh, Barry had a shot that missled off the crossbar that it might have been the hardest shot I've seen taken all year long. If it would have gone in, it might have been in contention for goal of the year. It was just, it would have broken a net or two. It was absolutely insane. But just a lot of mental mistakes for um, for Sporting Kansas City too. I mean, Obviously, the red card, that happens. I mean, it was dumb. Guy, you know, pushed another dude. You know, I think he hit him in the face. You can't do that. You know, that's an obvious red card. But stuff like giving up a handball in the box because your defender lost track of the ball. Oh, okay. Um, um, So, I mean, he just completely lost track of the ball. He was looking on the opposite side of the pitch and just didn't – didn't even know where the ball was. So just small mistakes like that all year. I, I don't really put a lot of uh, weight into this, into this win for uh, Colorado. Yep. So we're going to jump on ahead to a couple MLS2 teams where we had Real Monarch 0, LA2 2. So, I mean, I think this is one of those where Real Monarchs since their championship year have not been the greatest and LA2 have continually been one of those teams who is right around that playoff borderline where you can't disrespect them. I mean, they will always put out, not always, but almost every game put out a team who is good. Not a team who's going to be the best, but a team who if you sleep on or you don't respect, will beat you. And here they beat Real Monarchs 2-0 as LA is one of those odd teams again. So we'll see how they perform moving forward, but to me, they're a team to watch, and like I've talked about for a few other teams, they're a team who, if they get to the number four seed, they will be a danger for the number one seed that they go into, because they they're are that the talented. They're division right now, as anyone would have predicted. I mean, to be fair, they also have two more True. games played. Yeah, they've, they've played five games, so, I mean... But, I mean, at the same time, they've allowed three goals in five games. They're, that defense has actually showed up time in. Yeah. They've showed up so far this year. Agreed. But, yeah, from two teams, no one really cares much about. Sorry for the fans of those two teams. If you actually do listen to this podcast, I doubt you do. But let me know in the comments, because I could do with more hate in my life. 
Moving on to the Saturday games, though, Birmingham Legion 1-0 over Memphis, and we'll hand that over to the person who's um, most about this So game. this match, it was kind of a shocker, but it kind of wasn't. I mean, Memphis's back line, as a lot of people expected, was absolutely miserable. Their goalkeeper put in a heck of a game, and a lot of those shots were not great shots. But, I mean, Burner absolutely made some top-tier shots. And if it would have been, it's weird to say, if it would have been Tim Howard in goal, it might have been a 4-0 loss for Memphis because he was not good for them last year. And they made an upgrade, which it's weird to say that Burner, a backup, you know, at St. Louis was better than Tim Howard, but it's okay. As for the offense for Legion, it's a little bit disappointing, but there's a lot I can say about this Legion team and what's wrong and why they aren't scoring more, but that would take way too much time and don't need to do that. But overall, it was a good win, and it was a solid solid way to get onto the right foot. Yeah, I mean, to me, Birmingham is one of those teams where I can't really put my finger on what they're going to be this year. I, they've been a team I've struggled with, where at this point, I kind of see them as borderline top 10 overall, because they have talent. They have a lot of offensive talent, especially when people are going to be healthy and not suspended. But I don't quite see enough for them to be, for me to say, oh, they're a top 10 team. And I think these next few weeks are going to be kind of make or break. I mean, you have, what, like San Antonio, don't you have that next week, and then a couple games that should be wins. And I think that's going to be the proving point to me to see if Birmingham's going to be for real, or if they're, or if they're going to be a team who is like the third seed, because I think it's what, like Louisville, Tulsa, then Birmingham type thing, and face off against, face, face off against probably Tulsa, and see who breaks through on that one. I mean, we've seen that last game, maybe they could break through against Tulsa because things. But it, it's it's a, it's it's an it's, it's an interesting team to me because I think they're unproven, but the talent is definitely there. I just think Birmingham is one of those teams I I look at and go, prove it because the last few years when I said prove it, they haven't. And this year I want. What well, we've seen a lot that. with this team is that the defense was always the big question mark for us, and then they turn out and be fantastic. And so we're weirdly enough waiting for offense, just which seems so opposite compared to last year. I think if our defense just stays steady, or even if they decline just a little bit, but our offense picks up, then I think we would earn our way into a top 10 position. But until that point, I'm with you. Keep us out of the top 10, because I don't think we deserve it quite yet. Well, plus I jinxed pretty much anyone I put in the top 10. So, you know, it's a good idea for me to not put you there because, I mean, I, I think what was I saying? Like, I was saying, like, oh, Tulsa's a top five team in the league, and then they just, they, they zero five. But, you know, we're, we won't talk about that because that was technically next week. So, moving on after Birmingham Memphis, we have Hartford won Pittsburgh won in a game that, to me, Pittsburgh threw away. If you did not watch it, there's a red card from Forbes, probably around 70th minute, and then Hartford gets the stoppage time equalizer, and this is, to me, Pittsburgh throwing away three, well, two points, because they actually got one, but it's them throwing away extra points to a team they should have beat, and a team who 
beat them last year in the standings. So this is not good for Lily Ball. And it's been a slow start really for uh, Pittsburgh. They, through their two uh, matches, they have one loss and one tie, and it's just not the most uh, inspiring start for the team. I, I do think they'll turn around, but uh, yeah, it, it's not like Lily Ball to lose a match like this. I think they're going the Louisville route where they start slow and then turn around halfway through the season and end up being really good. Maybe they're like, let's try this one out for this season. Uh, yeah, a little bit disappointing for Pittsburgh, but, you know, especially in division, you know, against Hartford, it, 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 you hate to give up those points where you think you, you should probably uh, go away and get three. But again, it's a it's an away game, so getting one point on the road isn't going to be the end all for them because they'll get them twice at home, and that's where I think you can make up some difference. But, yeah, disappointing to see for Pittsburgh to see them start out this slow. But it gives me, as a San Diego Loyal fan, hope that's like, well, Pittsburgh's also doing poorly, so we're in the same boat. Yeah, I guess the fear is, do we, did they just lose four for three games? Because I could see that happening for this one. But moving on, I guess we have Tampa 2, Phoenix 1. No one cares about that game. So we're going to move on to New Mexico 3 and Austin 1. Let's talk about this one first. <laughs> yes, I am serious. <laughs> I mean, this is a, exactly where you, you would want New Mexico to be. They should be Austin. Um, if New Mexico wants to be that playoff team that fighting for the top of the mountain right now, um, this is a game that they definitely need to win. Um, and they they looked better than they have in the past, like starting to put together a game that actually has some shots, um, eight shots, seven on target. Uh, it's nice to see New Mexico kind of pick it up. I think they kind of – they're another one that was kind of a question mark early losing to Rio Grande at that first match. You're like, uh, really? But then RGV ends up being all right at home. The El Paso draw was fine, but I mean, this is a this is not a surprise. New Mexico should be Austin nine out of ten times right now, um, and I, I think it just helps New Mexico kind of get their footing. Yeah, I think to me this is more of the confidence boost for New Mexico, where their first two games they didn't really want those happening, but especially with how good RGV has been, you can't really fault that one when it was a fluke. I mean, it should have been a draw. That should have been a draw. And then when you play El Paso again, I mean, you could say that probably should have been a win. So you, and then finally you beat Austin, who is Austin to me is one of those teams that you always underestimate. They're never great, but they're always like one step higher than you say they're going to be. So I don't think New Mexico is in trouble yet. This is a step in the right direction to me from New Mexico where this is what I want to see from them on a consistent basis and now their next three games are Switchbacks, Loudon, and Real Monarchs. Those are three very winnable games for New Mexico here and if they pick off those three or, or even get three wins and a draw New Mexico is still a team who I probably have in my top three even though not top three, top ten. Even though they are a team who is swingy who I think is more vulnerable than most teams in the top 10 do have a really bad week and crash out. They have a lot of talent. 
They have, and they could put it together well. They have a good coach. They have good players. They have good tactics. And New Mexico, as long as they keep playing like they did last week, they will be one of the better teams in the West and should make a good impact. I just want to see them do it again and again. And I want to see Austin back bounce back from this because if Austin could make the playoffs, anything could happen. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, they took Phoenix to penalty kicks in the playoffs. So they have that they, they, they have that much talent where they could take any team to the danger zone. So I want to see what they do. Both these teams are fun to watch, and I want to see what they do. Yeah, for me, the Austin, year. this match was a lot of, this is your first match of the year. Who are you? What team are you going to be this year? And I watched the match, and the answer is I still don't know. I don't know who Austin is. And I really wish you could learn a lot because I feel like a team like New Mexico, you find out very quickly against, you know, like you said, a top 10 team, what kind of team is this? But I still have no idea what Austin is. You know, obviously first game of the year, but I'm just as confused leaving this match as I was when I was going into it. Yeah, so overall, that was a weird match, but we'll see how these two teams do. I think there's a lot of potential for both of them. I mean, if we're talking about them in, you know, September and October as being a good team, nothing would shock me on those. But we'll take a step back and talk about how Tampa Bay beat Phoenix 2-1 and what was essentially a rematch of what was going to be the championship game last year because, you know, people want to talk about it. Retroactive you know, 2020 champions. They get a trophy for that. I mean, you can rate yeah, one for like fifty bucks. Conference trophies too. Yeah, but I mean, this was a this is a good game. I mean, this is probably two of the single best teams in the entire league. Even if it was a two-one win, Tampa Bay proved that they are, to me at least, at at, at least at this point, the favorite for the entire league. They looked very, very solid at front and at back. They took some advantages of some minor mistakes from Phoenix to get this win. I mean, if you replace Tampa with most other teams, I'm not sure they actually get this win. I don't think they have enough talent to exploit the small mistakes Phoenix had. So it'll be interesting to see as this season moves on that if any other team even advances this point, because this, I mean, I can't... I don't think that if you're saying the championship is anything but Phoenix or Tampa in the finals, I think you're somewhat lying to yourself because those are very clearly the best two teams right now. And it was a joy to watch this game. And Tampa won it. And I'd like to see... I mean, I would love to see if there was a second game and said, well, I can make Tampa go to Phoenix for the second leg of this game. But we're not seeing that, even though it would be... A joy, a joy to watch. I would love to see Tampa go to Phoenix for a second game. And you mentioned small mistakes. But I mean, I mean, the whole time I was watching that match, I was like, oh, man, Quinn had an absolute shocker of a match, you know. But then, you know, I watched it back again. I'm like, he really didn't even play that bad. He just made small mistakes that Tampa Bay is just really good at, you know, going against. Because, I mean, we saw legions made plenty of those mistakes this year and we didn't get you know destroyed on it quinn unfortunately had the own goal but 
other than that, I mean, it was really a fun game, but both teams played a really great match. And, you know, the post-match, you know, one coach calling Quinn a crybaby, that was kind of awesome, not going to lie. <laughs> I believe I was directed at Santi Moar. Um, but I, I do think uh, this is shows how important home field advantage is going to be for that final. Um I think if this game's played in Phoenix, it maybe ends a little bit differently. I thought Phoenix was maybe a little bit unfortunate not to get a draw. Um, there were some shouts. There was some diving slash not diving. There was some difficult calls that the ref had to make. Um, I think the couple things to take away is, yes, they're both very talented. Um, I think the other thing that Western Conference teams can take advantage of is when you frustrate Phoenix, they tend to not play well. Uh, they tend to react, um, and for a team that's used to winning a lot, um, and Orange County does this from time to time when they get when they really frustrate Phoenix. Um, I think that they kind of focus on the wrong things and don't perform to the highest of their abilities. And I think we saw that a little bit as well. I think they got in their heads a little bit. They got angry at the refs. They got angry at the other players, and I think they Tampa Bay took them out of their game a little bit. Um, and but I still think Phoenix played well enough to probably get a draw here. But I think that's what's going to keep Tampa and Phoenix motivated is who's going to have the better record going into that final. Because if we get that final and it's in Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is probably the favorite. If that game's in Phoenix, Phoenix is probably the favorite. So it's going to be a boxing match between those two against who's going to end up with the most points at the end of the season. Uh, and you know sorry to east and west conference teams that means they're gonna go and they're gonna play this like this is europe where every game matters yeah i mean these two teams are just that good i mean right now if i had to i guess even even rank mls i don't i think tampa bay and phoenix would probably be better than out of the bottom five at least for mls teams i think they could beat they, they could beat the worst five mls teams especially at home not so talented these two teams are. I would are. love to see Tampa Bay beat FC Cincinnati. Okay, so I just want to point out that this is not me who brought that up. Because every time I do this, Cincinnati fans say, oh, Pony hates Cincinnati. Like, no, this was, that was not me. That was not one me. One club's the defending champion of so, the league. And we're going to move on, it. though. Okay, we're not going to talk about someone's spoon collections here. But, you know, moving on to the next game on our list, we have Orange County loses to Tacoma. Tacoma won Orange County 0 in a, another odd game. Can you just copy and paste what I said about San Diego and say that about Orange County and Tacoma? I think it was pretty much it was a very similar I mean, game of Tacoma clogging up the middle, yeah. making it really hard for Orange County to do anything. Uh, Orange County's first match out of the gate against a Tacoma team that clearly plays really well together. Uh, and it was just a frustrating day for Orange County. Yeah, I mean, it was actually, like I said, it's pretty similar to the way you looked at it. I mean, not much of a difference. I think, didn't uh, Orange County lose Adam John pretty early, too, in this game? Yeah, he went down with look, like an apparent knee injury, which would be a huge blow to Orange County. Um, although um, Arrow Markinen came in as his sub, and that dude's like eight foot tall, uh, so there's there is a little bit of a replacement. But you know, losing Adam John 
um, as early as they did is definitely a pretty big blow. 38th minute. Yeah, that can't be one that Orange County is happy to deal with. I mean, it's granted you don't build the entire season around Adam John, but you factor him into your tactics for the entire year. He's not a off-the-bench sub who's going to appear in, I mean, you know, 20 games. He is, he's a starter every game unless otherwise stated and Luck decided to say otherwise stated at this point. So, now we're doing again. Tacoma, again, another good win. Tacoma, you can't sleep on them this year. But... Next game, Oklahoma City Energy 2, Atlanta United 2-2. Two, two. And uh, I don't like how to say 2-2 two, because two, that just confuses everyone who listens to this. But it was a draw. Welcome to the, welcome to the USL Ballet Show. Or ballet show. We were talking about mm-hmm. all things ballet. This is kind of the match that officially really led to whatever's going on in OKC. Um, and this match, it was just another one of those matches where OKC finally looked like they had control. They finally did it. And then yet another late 80-minute, early 90-minute equalizer or another loss. And uh, they spent all their offseason trying to build their offensive prowess. They finally started getting goals, but it's so painfully obvious that they did not build their back line. And you're seeing these late goals because the quality that OKC has can last up to 70 minutes, but it's those last 20 minutes is when you see other teams really start to pile it on. And it's almost painful to watch at times. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't disagree. I've been avoiding those OKC. No, go ahead. As I, was, I try to avoid watching OKC games because I know I'm just going to be sad watching, you know, uh, what should be a pretty decent team, just not be able to put it together on the pitch. Um, it'll be interesting to see what develops out of that. Uh, and I, you know, you alluded to that kind of uh, town hall meeting stuff that they've talked about. So it's like clearly they're aware and trying to maybe addressing it, but right now it, it's. You know, you see OKC, and it's like as a neutral, like I'm probably gonna find a different game to watch, because um, it's just it's heartbreaking to see some of that happen. And you know, there's some pretty decent names on that team. Um, I mean, you know, CJ Cochran is probably doing his best to keep the team in the in the in the games, but it, it's just tough knowing that you know your your ownership is not as invested as you would you would probably hope. Or at least that's the way it seems as, as an outsider. No, I, w- I mean, I would just disagree with that, that OKC has seemed like a team who's just not willing to take that next step, where I think they're more comfortable, I mean, not comfortable, but, but they are not against being a team who, in like an eight-team conference, eight-team divisions, like third to sixth, they go, if they're in that, they're more or less okay. As long as they're not the worst team, there's no reason to fight against it to them, from what I see. And that's not fair to the fans, not fair to the players, unless they all are have basically been told that, yeah, this is our ceiling. We don't we were not looking to win the the cup, not looking to win a shield. We're looking to, you know, maybe make the playoffs. And if you're not happy with that, too bad. And 
I don't think that should ever be the approach unless it's literally an ownership group because we can't afford it and we refuse to sell the team. And if that's what the ownership group says, that's on them. And the fans need to say, well, should we pressure them to sell? Because we need to have a team who's going to challenge for the cup. No matter what, you need to actually take a step forward. But OKC is just confusing. They're fun at times, but confusing. Something that hurts that that OKC's ownership hasn't had to deal with before is that the Roughnecks, now FC Tulsa, is actually decent now. Before, they could just run Oklahoma and be like, okay, we're better than the other team in the state. See, we're not bad. We're better than them. But they can't exactly do that anymore. They can't hide behind we're the best in the state anymore. And I think that's kind of pushing what's happening right now. Even the Roughnecks' first season uh, really pushed OKC when they had uh, existed. But, uh, yeah, OKC has been passed in their own state, and it's just really tough for the team and the fan base to admit that they're they're no longer the best team in the state. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how this goes, but OKC kind of lost that out at this point in time where they're no longer one of the teams who we look at and go, oh yeah, they're one of the better teams in the league that we go. For most other teams, you look at OKC and go, we expect three points at worst to draw. And if that's what teams are looking at you and saying, something needs to change. I don't know what for OKC specifically, but you can't have teams look at you and saying, we expect three points from this game. So we're down. Oh, go for it. Yeah. Speaking of best, speaking of best teams in the state, um, are you ready to anoint the all too early best team in Texas as RGV, as they beat San Antonio oh, two to one? Potentially. The knee jerk reaction. They're really good. <laughs> I mean, it's to say that the best team in the state. There's there are hotter takes you could take than saying RGV's the best team in Texas right now. I mean, it's there. There are things that you could say, and people laugh at you more. But yeah, like I said, RGV beats beat San Antonio two to one, and something we all obviously saw coming because we're not stupid about this that type of thing. But who was to kick off this, you know, crow feast? This team, I mean, San Antonio, you can make the excuse that they had a lot of injuries. And you can say that a lot of their back line, I mean, their back line's been a revolving door of players right now. And that sucks for them. But RGV just, it doesn't matter what level you're at. It's very, very difficult to win when you only have 29% possession. I mean, there's not many times that you can do that and still win. I can't think of any time that's ever happened and the team still won. So is it was it really RGV, you know, imposing their will on San Antonio or was San Antonio just trying to lump the ball forward, go over the top and realize they couldn't and just give away possession constantly? I don't really know. Yeah, there's th- three teams right now that Probably don't somewhere in between. Yeah, there's three teams right now that don't have a draw or a loss and it's Tampa Bay, Sacramento and RGV. It's insane. RGV is the second best team in the league right now. 
right behind Tampa Bay if you're looking at the standings. Like, do I think they fall? Oh, I mean, that's a that's a total points, not points per game. Must not be. Let's not go crazy here. I mean, I think RGV eventually comes back down to earth, maybe. But I mean, points on the board are points on the board, and if you're looking at that fourth playoff spot, like RGV is setting themselves up as saying, "Hey, we're gonna go for playoff contention here," and. You know, maybe there's a little bit of, you know, newness with the independent stuff, um, but they put together a pretty good team. And like I said before, I think these are all home games. So I think the biggest test will be when RGV actually goes on the road. Um, coming up pretty soon, I think their next match is on the road. It'll be interesting to see if they can bring that with them to El Paso. Um, you know, I said this last time was RGV at home is kind of a weird place for teams to play and weird things happen and teams go in there and lose when they probably shouldn't. Um, although San Antonio did pretty much get outplayed. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can bring RGV that on the road and get some points on the road. I think that's where they'll really solidify themselves as a team to talk about this and for the early season. Now, if they can keep this going for 32 more or 28 more games is we'll we'll have to see uh but it's exciting to to watch them do well um i know that's a franchise that had that brought in tons of fans early and that's kind of fallen off so maybe they can bring more fans back in re-energize that franchise uh and be a force in in south texas again um it's just better for the league i think uh and i'm rooting for them to be successful because um after san diego lost to them we don't have to see them anymore so they can run the table if they want to and i'll be happy yeah, they're a talented team. They, I mean, I don't think, I mean, I, this is my most underestimated team of the year so far by a huge margin. I did not think, I did not think RGV would be a team who would win three, their first three games. I mean, if you asked me, when is RGV's third game going to, when, when is their third win? I probably just said July sometime at the start of the year. And they have just done so well to put this stuff together. I mean, this, this looks like, I want to say, like, it's 2016-2017 RGV where they finished as, like, number two seed in the West, and I predicted them to win the Cup, and they lost in the first game in the playoffs because I jinx teams all the time. But they look good. They look like a team who is talented, who have depth, who have skill at all levels and all spots. And if they could keep playing like they have for these first three games... RGV is not going to be one of those teams who's like the one-hit wonder where they, they have that hot streak for a month. If they play like this for the rest of the year, RGV is going to be one of the best teams in the league. They are going to challenge the Phoenixes. They're going to challenge Sacramento, the Orange Counties, the San Antonios to be the best team out there. And I look forward to it because the more teams who could break into the level that's not the... Well, we're okay, but the level that is good, the level that could survive in a higher tier, who, if you put them on an MLS field, wouldn't get just destroyed. If you could do that, especially as an MLS 2 team, because think about it, these are people who are playing here because they're not going to have to be in Houston at this point. That is amazing, and that speaks to the talent of the USL and speaks to what the USL does best, which is bring in players who otherwise would be missed or otherwise might not, might not get the time and put them on the field 
and let them prove themselves. Let them prove that they should be on an MLS side. And I don't care who does it. If it's RGV, if it's Tacoma, if it's New York Red Bulls 2, whoever does it, this is good for U.S. soccer. And if it's just from the MLS 2 teams, cool. If it's from the independent teams, even better. But we need this. This is the best thing possible for the sport in this league. And I respect what RGV is doing. And I want them to continue it. I don't want this to be a fluke. If they prove me wrong and RGV is a top 10 team at the end of the year, I will gladly eat crow and love what they're doing and praise them until they prove me wrong. Because this is everything we want from the USL and more. Rant done. We, Please, someone talk. We're moving on to the last match of the week. The one that probably had made more noise about what happened after the match or during the match off the pitch than during the pitch. New York 2, Loudon 1. Um, I didn't watch this. The only thing I heard about this match is what happened. Um, but what happened on the pitch? So as someone who did watch the match as it was happening, really not much happened. It was, I mean, it was kind of what you expected from Baby Bulls. It was just another stereotypical game where, you know, they kind of forced mistakes. They did their thing. They pressed a little bit, kind of let the other team have the ball and tried to just create chances off the counter. Loudon looked like Loudon, they did exactly what you think Loudon would do, which is not be good. And New York Red Bulls, I mean, they took their chances where they had them. They stepped up, t- took their penalty, and went ahead. But really, it was just it was a fine game by New York Red Bulls. And if you know what you talking about d- during the match, if that did happen, they definitely overcame some adversity. Yeah, I was a little bit disappointed by the response from the league regarding what happened. They put out their like boilerplate, we're investigating, yada, yada, yada. And I think this boils down to some of the things that happened at the end of last season where you want the league to come out a little bit less corporate and more like understanding the severity of some of these uh, these happenings. They essentially just like copy and pasted any typical you know we're aware we're investigating um they'll be held accountable hate has no place it's like what i'm what i would have liked is maybe a little bit more forceful zero tolerance like you know we take these allegations seriously it you know we're investigating but if these things find that it happened you know we're kicking fans out we're you know and if I think some people were calling, and I know Pony is against docking points or having the team penalized, but I think that, you know, we're at a point where this is going to keep happening until something more severe happens as a punishment. Um, And I would like the league to be a little bit less, well, we, you know, we're aware and we're investigating. It's like, I think they can be a little bit more forceful without over-promising something because uh, right now it just feels like they're under-promising and they're going to under-deliver. Um, 
I'm still a little bit hopeful, but I know that there's a lot of, you know, different communities out there that are saying like, great, this is going to keep happening. We can have these diversity talks and we can sit everyone down in a room and talk about it, which is great if it happens on the pitch, but if it happens with fan bases, what are you going to do? You're going to bring the team together with the fans and, and like have diversity training. It's like, we have to have zero tolerance. We have to say that, you know, people will be held accountable and there will be actions and we will be forceful with them and, and be clear with the, what the, with the, outcome will be ahead of time like if you if this happens this is the punishment right now i don't think that's there we called for that last year we haven't seen that we have this you know the more positive aspect which is great and i love that you know the forever proud and all of those things but when it comes to actually holding people accountable i'd like to see the league be a little bit more take it a little bit more seriously and be a little bit less corporate If it were to come out that all these allegations are true, I totally agree. I do think they should be doing more as USL. Um, the thing is, is that the point stalking, I'm against that for the USL or for MLS for no other reason besides owners don't care. Because there is no promotion relegation, what's a point docking going to do? Oh no, we're not going to make the playoffs. Wilden wasn't going to make the playoffs anyway. The only way to get to the owners, especially in the USL, where we see teams fold like no by his business, is you find them. Because the only thing owners care about is their money. And you know what? If a major fine comes in, you could realistically lose a club. And that sucks. That would be absolutely horrible. And I think that would be the only way to send a message to owners is that, oh yeah, this is a pretty hefty fine. You're going to have to explain to your fans on their actions or your actions are the reason that they you might not have a club or you're going to have to fall down into league one you know that's going to lead to them actually being more responsible with what's happening yeah i mean it's never an easy thing to talk about there is no obvious solution which is why we still have these things happening year after year and in a few games per season because there is no clean solution and I would love to hear suggestions from people and say we should do this and we should do that because one of these days someone's going to stumble on something that the USL is going to go oh wow that actually makes sense it makes sense as a, a punishment to the fans the owner the players the team because granted no one is completely not at fault or completely wrong in these for the most part but we need to come up with something that makes sense and doesn't I'm, I'm, it, it, there, there's no good solution I'm it, the best way to say there is no good solution for this and I'm not going to pretend there is a good solution I'm just going to say that we need to be better as fans we need to be better as spectators the players need to be better the owners need to be better the coaches need to be better if they hear a player saying that, they need to do something about it. They can't just sweep it under the rug. The owners need to be able to step up and say, well, I heard this is going on, so I'm going to do something instead of saying, I'm going to ignore this. Because we need to be better people. At the end of this, we need to be better people. And that's what we all need to do. And it's not just today it's not tomorrow it's not this week it's for our lives we need to respect each other we need to not 
use these words, use these chants, use whatever it is, because we don't know how it affects everybody equally. And I'm obviously not the best one to speak of this. I I don't want to offend anyone, but obviously this is not the best person we're talking about inclusiveness and diversity and all those things because I don't hit all those demographics and I'm not going to touch it because I'm only going to dig myself into a hole but we just need to be better people and encourage everyone else to be better people and when we see someone not being a better person make them aware that of what they're doing so I'd like to I guess thank everyone for listening to this podcast for the week and give everyone else a quick chance to call out their social media handles. Start with our guest, Kaylor. Yeah, my uh, Twitter is going to be at Kaylor Hodges, K-A-Y-L-O-R-H-O-D-G-E-S. And moving to Ryan. You can find me on Twitter at, at ILM underscore Ryan. And, of course, Alan. A Underwood 48 on the Twitter machines. And I am at USL underscore pony. We thank all of you for listening this week, and we look forward to talking with you next week and for the rest of this USL season. And thank you, and have a good morning, evening, whatever you happen to listen to this podcast. Bye, all. Bye.